thank you, Lord. I thank you that you're moving even right now to bring a balance of chemicals even within the brain and the system. People are upended because things get out of balance in the chemicals in their body. And I thank you, Lord, that you move in that to bring about a healing and a clarity of thinking. I thank you you're doing what only you can do to bind up that which is broken and put it back together again. Whether in this room or in the rooms where people are watching online, that you, by your anointing, are working. For you know every heart, you know every life, you know every situation. And I thank you you'll do what only you can do. Teach us today of the word. Take it and make it life to us. That we truly might grow by the sincere milk of the word. We might be equipped in our life to minister to those around us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what's going on around us. That we might see those who are lost and they're wandering and they're subject to sin in their life. They're bound by it. That we might bring and minister to them freedom and liberty and the gospel of Jesus Christ to bring light into their life where darkness is dominated. I thank you, Lord. We'll begin to hear as they speak what you are saying to us to minister to them, that we'll be fully equipped to be the body of Christ, to minister to those around us, that truly you'd be glorified and that you'd be magnified, not only in us, but you'd be magnified through our life. We give you the praise and the glory and the honor for what will be accomplished in every heart and every life by your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Once again, good to see you. Thanks for coming out. Everybody who's joining us by live stream, we are glad that you are with us. Our Meeker campus, we're glad that you're with us this morning. I believe this is the day that the Lord has made, and we can rejoice and be glad in it. You know, John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief only comes, come not except to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But Jesus came that we might have life, and that we might have life more abundantly. If you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you have an incredible life. Thank you for your enthusiasm. You have an incredible life. The Bible says you have life and you have life more abundantly. And that word abundantly means superior life. You have super abundant life. You have a different kind of life. Come on, you have a different kind of life than before you were born again. You have a different quality of life. People talk about quality of life. God wants us to understand that we have a quality of life that is of the quality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have a great life. You are really special because you have a life that is a life to the overflow. God wants you to look and say, listen, I'm overflowing with life. I'm overflowing with life. We don't really come in, and it makes, it'll make time more exceptional wherever you are when you're not saying, you know what, I need somebody to fill up my life. My life is half empty. My life is being drawn out and empty, but when we really realize that we have a river of life on the inside of us springing up. We have a constant flow to fill our life to the overflow, that wherever we go, we're not looking and saying, you know what, man, I wish I had somebody to fill my life, but we're looking around saying, I'm overflowing with life. Where is somebody need a little capping off? Where does somebody need a little bit of filling? Where is somebody empty? Because I have some overflow that I could give. Come on, I have a little healing power flowing through my body. So where is somebody a little deficient of healing? Let me lay my hands on them and cause life to come. Where is somebody a little bit deficient of joy? The joy of the Lord is my strength. I have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Where is somebody deficient of something? Because I'm overflowing with life. 
See, that's God's plan. Not that we come in half empty. But we have life more abundantly. Come on, the enemy's trying to steal that from you. The enemy's trying to destroy what God has already done in Christ Jesus. He's trying to break things down. And we start to look and go, look at what the devil's doing. People start to realize my life, something's coming out of my life. When we look at what God did, so something might be flowing out of my life, but you can't ever get me to empty because as much as flowing out, there's something springing up within. Come on, our life doesn't flow from the outside in. It flows from the inside out. Come on, I was fixing a pipe yesterday. Well, I wasn't really fixing a pipe. I was probably messing things up. It's okay, Larry. I didn't mess too much up. I have to talk to the plumber. <laughs> but I have this filter that I had to change this filter. And man, water started flowing everywhere. And I, I turned off the wrong switch. And it was just coming from everywhere. And I couldn't get it to stop. Isn't that something? <laughs> Somebody comes and finds an overflow in your life, and they're trying to shut it off, but they just can't. Yeah. Why? Because there's something that's flowing from somewhere else. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Well, look at somebody next to you say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And then you can be seated. Open your Bibles with me to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Hebrews, the 12th chapter. We're going to look at the first verse. We're going to continue in our series of messages. I'm going to spend a little bit of time. We've had a little bit of break uh, uh, reviewing and, and catching up. I'll try not to spend too much time there. But we've been using this somewhat as our foundational text. And I'm going to look at the Passion Translation of this. And it says, as for us, we have all these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us. And the sin we so easily fall into. Come on, he says it's a time that we let go of everything that's wounded us. It's not an easy thing. I'm not saying it's an easy thing. But he says, listen, in order to move forward, you have to look at the things that have wounded you in life and go ahead and let go of every wound. And look and understand where are the pitfalls that we keep falling into? What are the temptations? What is the, the sin that I, that I continually fall into? And he says, go ahead and, and, and set those things aside. He said, then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination. See, sometimes we're running our race like it's a drudgery. We're, we're just trying to get by. But he says, the reason that it's a drudgery and it's heavy is because we have these, these wounds and we have these hurts. We have these things, these weights that so easily beset us. And we have the sin that seems to just cycle in our life. We're coming. We're doing a 1 John 1, 9. We're genuflexing. God, I'm sorry I did that. Forgive me. But we're not ever really going, listen, I'm going to look at that thing right there and realize that Jesus paid the price for that. I no longer have to live that way. I'm no longer going to focus on that thing that continually besets me, but I'm going to focus on Jesus. And so he says, in that you start running with passion and you start running with a determination for the path has been already marked out before us. We look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this, because his heart was focused. Everybody say focused. His heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his 
He endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. Said, listen, how could, we think about that sometimes if you actually pondered, if you behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, how he went about making us children of God, how he went about breaking the power of sin that dominated our life as he went to the cross. And his road to the cross was one where they arrested him and they accused him falsely. And every time he answered, they beat him. They punched him in the face. They spit upon him. They threw a robe on his back and pressed a crown of thorns upon his head. And they, they mocked him. And then they took him and they scourged him and they beat him uh, to where he was unrecognizable as a man. Then they took him out and they caused him to walk a, a road of shame uh, that only uh, thieves and robbers and guilty people walked and he carried the cross uh, to that place of shame then they nailed him and raised him up before everybody in between two thieves and robbers as if he was guilty but it wasn't his guilt it was our sin that he bore upon himself and if you really start to ponder and think about it you think why why would you do all that for me there's nothing in the heart of man that says yeah you should have done that for me I'm really cool and I'm I'm worth the cross See, there's nobody who's lost in sin that really believes I'm worth the cross. They don't even get it. How, how could he do that? They come to the place of what? Unbelief. I don't think that really happened. I don't think that would happen, but it did happen, and he did that. And then if you really understand that it did happen, you start to think, how did he do that? How did he, as a man, bear all of that punishment and all that stuff? And it tells us how. He didn't focus on the punishment. He didn't focus on your sin. And he didn't focus on my sin. He focused on redemption. He focused on the joy that was set before him. He saw clear down through time, and he saw you being reconciled to God, that your sin would be broken, that you wouldn't have to die and be judged with the penalty of sin sin on you because he took it upon himself and he rejoiced at that and focused on that it was all about his focus when we go forward in life it's all about our focus and it, it goes on there the writer of hebrews goes on there to tell us that when your focus tries to get off on how hard it is to suffer for him he says go ahead and consider his focus because he was able to suffer more than you and I have ever suffered because he focused on the joy set before him. Anytime we begin to serve God in any way, shape, form, or fashion, he didn't say it's going to be easy. He didn't say that you're not going to have to suffer some things. He didn't say that you're not going to have to set some things aside that are difficult. He says, but when you start setting those aside, and now all of a sudden your flesh is going, oh my God, I'm suffering. Why am I suffering for this? And he says, you're tempted to focus on your suffering refocus on the joy of what Jesus has done for you. And he said, when you focus on what he did for you, you get your focus on what you're doing for him. And all of a sudden, when you see what he's done for him, it brings a joy to us to do what we're doing for him. It's really all about what we focus on and what we see. And so we've been talking about that focus, and, and really what I want to do is spend a little bit of time, and we, we've probably spent more time this year getting started than I had anticipated, but we want to look at focus and put up the definition of focus once again. Focus is this, the center of activity, attraction, or attention. I want to just ask you, what has been the center of your attention? Since January 1st, what's been the center of your attention? 
Has it been things that have been going on in the government? Has it been things that have been going on emotionally, things that have been going on in your family? Or is the center of your attention financial? What is the center of your attention? Because wherever the center of your attention is, whatever is on your mind, whatever it is that you're thinking about every single day, whether it's lack or abundance, whatever it is, that's the center of your attention. That is your focus. It means what is the point of concentration or your directed attention? What is it that you think about every day? What are you concentrating on? Are you concentrating on what others are doing to you? Are you concentrating on, on what your spouse has done uh, to you? Are you concentrating on fear of the future, what might happen sometime in that place? It means an adjustment for distinct vision. Are there things that are blurry to you? Are there things that you know that are out there that God has spoken to you? Are there, there things that, that, that are really impressed upon your life? They've been impressed at another time or, or earlier in life what God is really doing in you. And he says, listen, it seems blurry, but you got to bring it into focus. you got to bring it into distinct vision. For without a vision, people perish. Without an understanding, without a word from God that creates a visual perspective of who you are and where you're going, you will wander aimlessly. In other words, if the word of God for your life and what he's called you to do becomes a blur, you'll begin to wander aimlessly, trying to find a path to walk on. But God has distinctly given you paths of righteousness. Right? When you were born again, he brought you into right standing with him, and he said, I will lead you in paths of righteousness. In other words, I will lead you down paths where I walk with you every single day in relationship with you. And he said, my words will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. You say, I want clear vision as to where I'm going. I want to see where I'm going in life. It says, come into that righteous relationship with God and take his word. And that relationship will be the path that you walk on every day. Don't walk on a path without him one day. But every day, whether the path seems like it's going uphill and you get tired, or whether it's going downhill and you're just running like crazy, or whether it's flat and straight and it's so easy to walk on, still don't do it by yourself. Do it with him. Because he shed his blood so you could be in relationship with him. The closest, most intimate relationship created in any situation of life. That he is in you and you are in him. And he said, when it seems like you can't see that path very good, he said, my word is a lamp unto that path and a light unto your feet. If you're looking for vision for your future, it's the word of God that begins to light up your future. It's supernatural. You say, well, listen, I don't know about this my future. This is like from 6,000 years ago to 2,000 years ago. How does that light up my path? Because it's alive. It's quick. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce and divide and penetrate past the soul which is temporary. It focuses on the temporal things and penetrate right to the spirit of man, which is eternal. And so it helps you to draw from this eternal word of God things that have been, that are, and that will be and draw them out and the spirit of God will make them relevant and alive to you today. There's so much going on right now. There's so much. I was praying yesterday and I thought, oh God, how in the world? This thing is just blowing up on me. How am I going to take the things that I see and try to make them somewhat relevant right now? And he's, it's really a trusting in him because the word is eternal. And he can take it and make it alive to us right now today. It is lastly the area that may, that may be seen distinctly or resolved into clear image. In other words, God has some things for us as a church. He has some things for you personally that he wants to make clearer. I believe that in 2021, God wants to bring clarity 
to your life, clarity to our relationships, clarity to our calling. Paul prayed that for the church at Ephesus. He says, I pray that your heart would be flooded with light or with revelation that you might know what is the hope or the confident, favorable expectation of your calling. And to make clear our calling, we're called out of darkness, out of sin, that thing that made us not even look like God created us to be, and into righteousness, which is that place of relationship with God, that there's a high calling, and that calling out from what you used to be to what you've been called to be means my high calling is to become more like Jesus. And sometimes we wonder about our calling and if it's religious and if it's to be a, a, a pastor or an apostle or a prophet or what it is, but our calling is to be like Jesus. And if our calling is to be like Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're a coach, if you're a teacher, if you're a business owner. It doesn't matter if you're retired or you're in school. It doesn't matter because there's something going on on the inside of you that is like him. There's a boldness. There's a strength that's churning from the inside. There's a development that's going on the inside that no matter what's going on around us, there's a love. There's a joy. There's a peace. There's a goodness. There's a gentleness. There's a kindness. There's a self-control. There's a perseverance. There's a faithfulness that's working on the inside of you to create something that somebody, whether it's in the school or the classroom or on the team or in the business that you're at there's something working on the inside of you that somebody else needs and God's called you to become more like Jesus so that we're a representation or a representing of the life of Christ to people who are lost and they're trying to figure out who they were created to be and what their purpose in life is and when they get a glimpse of us somebody who there's going on we're not arrived just like Paul said I haven't arrived yet I haven't yet attained to it, but I forget the man that I used to be under sin, and I press towards the mark of the high calling to become more like him. He said, I'm looking to say if I could die out to the old man, the only way I'm ever going to realize the new man and the resurrection life is to die out to the old man, for if I die out to the old man, I have a shot at resurrection life. And not only do I have a shot at resurrection life, I will be filled with resurrection life, which will cause me to leave the old behind and begin to move into the newness of life. And so if my focus is on him raising me up, developing and becoming more like him, what's going on on the inside of me rather than what's going on on the outside of me? What I have instead of what I don't have. What God has spoken to me rather than what somebody else has said about me. Now my focus begins to come more clear. And it starts to be adjusted into more of a clear image. As we do that, I believe that our life comes about and we understand some things as we are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll expound upon that. But the new creation church, the local church body. And I'll cover this, you know, out of 114 times in the New Testament that the Bible talks about the church. 90 times out of 114, he's talking about the local assembly of believers. We are the church universally, but God looks at the local assembly of believers, and it's incredibly important. Now, believe that what God's put in your heart doesn't work outside the church, but it works in and through the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. In a community, it works in and through the body of Christ. There's something that God's called us to do as the church. 
So as we talk about focus, we're going to share some things, but I hope that even sharing the focus or the vision of New Creation Church, of which we believe that God's called you to be a part of, you begin to see and say, oh, I see what God's doing in my life, not only in this building, but through this building out into the areas that I live in. So let's just go over this briefly real quick. The vision of the New Creation Church is this, and we'll, we'll begin to expound upon this a little bit today, but the vision of New Creation Church is every member in their place to see the glory of God and to possess the land. We live in a time right now where the Bible, Isaiah 60, I believe, is, is, is coming more and more to pass uh, in us, but it's going to be a rising up of the church. And the time where we are hoping that that really we get glory and we, we begin to do something that we are recognized is starting to fade away. That we understand that when people are drawn to us, it's because the glory of the Lord has risen upon us. Right? And in unity of the body and learning to walk in love, what the body does is actually help mature us. The local church body helps mature us. There's just times because we're not perfected. I'm sure none of you know this because we have such a perfect body of believers. Nobody has probably in the church ever upset you or bothered you or even caused you to have to think, oh my gosh, I have to walk in love. But I'm sure some place has to do that. But we think about that, and sometimes we come into the church and we think everybody in the church is where I want to be. Everybody's perfect, and everybody's going to help me, and, and it's just going to be kumbaya and love and mercy and grace. And we know we're not perfected in love and mercy and grace, but that's why we come, because everyone else in the church should be. I'm here because I'm not perfect, but you all should be perfect to help me be perfect. And when you're not perfect and I find that out, it's so disappointing and I think I'm going to go have to find another church. Which is what children do when you take a toy that they want. They throw the toy that they have down and they stomp out of the sandbox and they go find somebody else to play with. But he said, I brought you into the sandbox of the church to learn to share your toys To share your gifts. And when somebody doesn't notice or has your toy that you want, you don't get mad and storm off and go find another church. But did you realize that we share our gifts? We bring them together. And sometimes what we think is a gift is not a gift. It's just wanting to be like someone else. And wish we had their gift and we had their toy, but we don't. We have our own toy. We have our own gift. And we're sitting over there in the corner of the sandbox, but it's not like what the popular kids have. So we storm off leaving our gift or our toy in the corner of the sandbox mad because we can't play with their toy. But really, it would have been a lot better if we all just would have began to share. And so what's happening is... We're here to help grow one another and mature one another, to come into that place of protection, or, or perfection or maturity. And in that, finding our place and living in our place and flourishing in our place and helping one another in our place 
And our future place not, might not be our present place, as Pastor Tasha talked about with Nehemiah. Sometimes, you know, the perfumers were there with a sword in their hand. I mean, you got to think about that for protection. I don't know that I want to be operating next to that perfumer if battle happens. Because they might smell nice, but I want to live. No, they were all building the wall and protecting the wall. Once the wall got built, then they could go and build their shop and then be a perfumer or whatever they were. And so sometimes we say, I'm going to sit back and wait till everybody else builds the wall and then I'll have time. But by that time, you're frustrated because the wall is being built too slow and you go somewhere else. But God says, if you'll help build the wall, we'll all mature and we'll see these things come to pass and we'll see them be set in place as they ought to. And God's glory will be revealed and Jesus will be glorified not us. And when Jesus is glorified and Jesus is lifted up through his church, the body, when the glory of the Lord is seen upon us, we begin to take the land that God's promised us. We begin to receive our inheritance, which is the heathen is our inheritance, souls saved into the kingdom of God. Lives changed and transformed. So we want to focus in and get a clear vision of what that means and how we come together and how the church comes together in this time because it's not about individuals, it's about the church arising in this time and the church and the resources of the church. We're better together than we are apart. We'll define in a little bit what the church is and how that works and you can begin to see that we can't be scattered all over and actually be called the church. We can't, you can't be out there on your own. In one place saying, I am the church. It doesn't, it's not even the word. It's not the definition. You can't individually be the church. The church is called out once. It's a gathering. It's an assembly. Yet we are members of that church, that body. As we begin to understand, God was so good to give us a number of analogies. We have the church. We have the family of God. We have the army of God. We have the body. He's given us, God just came from every directive to get us to understand. Because in all those units, you can't just do it by yourself. You can't go out and be the army by yourself. It takes everybody in their place learning their skill to actually operate. It takes the captains and the colonels, and it takes the gunners, and it takes the, 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 the foot soldiers, and it takes the cavalry, and it takes the, the, the archers, and it takes every part. In the family, it takes every single part doing their share, the husband, the wife, the kids, to really make the family. The body, as we'll look at more in depth, the body, every single member fills in its place. And I've never, never once woke up and had my foot yelling at me saying, why did I have to be the foot? I want to be the nose. I've, every single day when I've got up, my feet have come along with me. They never said, I can't be the nose, so I'm staying home today. And my left hand has never said, you know what? You're right-handed, and I think that's just selfish. Here I am, a left hand. You don't know what I could do. I could do so much more, but you're always using the right hand. I'm going to stay home and show you you really need me. No, it just comes along, and every time the right hand needs help, the left hand joins in. Never says I'm joining in this time, but next time, if you don't, if you don't give me praise, I'm not coming. I'll just show you. 
There's a reason Paul uses that analogy. We need every part, everything working in his place. And so we do it because we have a mission, and that mission is to love and lift and reach people. Love and lift and reach people. We are all people. We are members in particular, but there's people out there who, who don't know. We're, we're in the dynamics of in the church. We're learning to love one another, to encourage and build the body through encouragement of gifts and those things. Why? So we can reach out. But when we reach out, we have to love a world that's unlovable, and we have to exhort and encourage people who don't know that they're worth anything, that God has loved them and counted them and counted, put value upon them so that we can reach out. And our purpose is cyclical. It keeps going. That we save the lost. We establish the saved. We train the established. And then we send them. We send them into nations of the world. We send them into other communities to establish churches. We send you out into your families and where you work and where you play. We send you with this idea that we're members of the body of Christ moving out to love, to lift, and to reach people. And as we reach out to people, we see them get saved. It's the primary thing. We have no, no way to grow the church except for people come to know him. And then within the body, we affirm them. We establish them in what they've come to believe. We begin to train them in life as a believer so that when they're sent out, there is that same reflection. It continues to go on so more people get saved and established. We can't just come in these four walls and say, I go to church and go out there and not live the life that Jesus has called us to live. So in Colossians chapter 1, Paul is praying for the church. He says this, speaking of Jesus, he said, he, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities and powers. All things were created through him. Everybody say through him. All things were created for him. Everybody say for him. And he is before all things and in him all things consist and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Go ahead and put those pictures up there. I know that we've used these before. Because we're talking about focus, you have this focus. Sometimes we get to this point that there's so many things around us that the trees become into, into focus. You know, we've heard that before. I can't see the forest for the trees. We've got so many things in our life that are there, but if we really focus on Jesus and we put our focus on that, go ahead and put that other picture up there. If we focus on Jesus, we start to understand that the trees don't go away, but through him, everything exists. In other words, through him, why the trees are there and where we go through the trees to get to where we're going, all things consist and come through him. And all things are there. The trees are there. The things that are in our life to perfect us and to mature us are there for him that we become greater. Things have been created by him. But we get our focus on all the things. But if we get our focus on him and it begins to go through him, our life and everything in it begins to go through him with our focus on him. All of a sudden, everything becomes more clear. And we understand who we are in him because we're focused on him. And you cannot focus on him without finding yourself in him. And you cannot focus on him without focusing on his body. So we get so individualized and he wants us to know that we're in him and he's in us. But you also have to understand 
that his body is really prime factor of who he is. And when we get our focus off of his body and say that we are focusing on Jesus, he said, how can you focus on me without focusing on my body? Because everything that I did and everything that I am and everything that I've created in the new birth, everything in my death, burial, and resurrection was to establish my church, which is my body. And the way that we reach into the future and the reason that I'm coming again is I'm coming to again receive my body, the church, back to myself. But right now where it seems that I'm not here, I am here, but I'm here in the form of my body, the church. And we can look to heaven and say, he's coming again, and he's up there, and we're just waiting. Or we can look back to when he died on the cross and he saved us. Or we can focus on Jesus right now, and the work of Jesus right now is going on in the earth or not going on in the earth because of his body, the church. And I believe that 2021 New Creation Church, that we can come together and we can rise up and the resources that we have, the giftings that we have, the callings that we have, that we can begin to be an effect in our community and in the world. And it's not one big social project, although that may come about, but it's every individual moving throughout this valley where you are, having that reigning in life, having that development in life. Sometimes it'll be by two. Sometimes it'll be by three. Sometimes it'll be by an event that we have. Sometimes it'll be a social project that God gives us. But in every way and every day, we can be the church moving and governing life as God has given us to govern life. If we will focus on him and not everything that life is doing from the outside, but focus what he's doing on the inside and live it to the outside. And that's not just a cliche, living from the inside out. It's a reality that we need to understand that we live from the inside out, not the outside in. And Paul understood that reality, and he told the Corinthian church of that reality, that the power for me to do everything that I'm doing amidst all the persecution, amidst all the suffering and the trouble, the way that I maintain my joy, and the way that I have an attitude that today's present suffering is nothing compared to the glory that shall be revealed, is because the, the treasure that is in me and the power that is in me is not of me, it's of God. And so I'm not affected by the outside because the inside is so much stronger. And the Apostle John echoed the same thing. He said, listen, there's going to be the spirit of Antichrist. There's going to be destruction in the world. There's going to be hatred in the world. There's going to be th all kinds of things in the world. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so we understand this and we know this, that any man that be in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, everything has become new and everything is of God. Any man that be in Christ. See, when you got born again, you got in Christed. That you got in Christ and Christ got in you. But it wasn't just that individual, that Jesus up in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. You did get in Christed into him, but you also got engrafted into his body. You got engrafted into his body. The body of Christ. And God is so focused. We ended two, two weeks ago on all the scriptures where it talks about Jesus and his church and that revelation of who Jesus is. He said on the revelation that you know who I am and what I've done for you, that I am the Christ, the son of the living God. I'm going to build my church. My church. 
all over there's going to be a church that I call my church, but there's going to be local assembly of believers called out from all over the community, and they're going to assemble together as the church, the ecclesia of God, not the ecclesia of the United States, not the ecclesia of Glenwood Springs, that we have those. If you actually want to talk about it, they, we have city councils coming together. It's like the ecclesia, but God said, there's my church, my ecclesia that's going to come together, and I'm going to set leaders in that, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And they're going to equip the saints for the work of ministry. They're going to edify the body, to encourage the body, to build one another up, to edify one another up, to grow the body. How? By setting a culture in the community of righteousness. Not coming in and pretending to be righteous and then going out and living like the world, but coming in knowing we've been like the world, receiving instruction from the Word and the Spirit of God, and going out and setting a new culture of righteousness wherever we go. And to understand that cultures are set by values. And that's why we don't allow ourselves to be conformed to the world because the world has totally different values than the kingdom of God. And we begin to adjust and understand who, what the values of God are. That everybody that is around us and everybody that is out there in the world, no matter how they're acting, they have value to God. God values their life, and he values our life, and God values the relationship that he's created through the blood, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he did that, and he shed his blood that the power of sin could be broken and that we might value righteousness over the sin of this world. And the church is to come together to learn, not to just say, I fulfilled a requirement, and wow, what a good message, but to begin to hear the message and say, how do I take that to heart and govern my life, my personal life? How do I govern and live that way in my marriage and join that relationship of marriage so much closer than it's been because I'm learning to govern my life according to this? I value what Jesus has done. I value the person that God has put in my life. I value his son and his daughter and the relationship that we have and the covenant that we have. And because I value that, I tend to that according to the word of God. And now we're relating that to our sons and our daughters. And the people around us, the neighbors, and the people that we come in contact with, they begin to see how we're governing our life and governing our family, and they're, they're seeing something a bit different about that. So we come together, that ecclesia, that ecclesia that he talked about. It was a Greek term, and they went into communities, and they, they, they set up councils, and they set up leaders, and they came together, and they began to talk about the culture that was living in, and what was predominant in the culture, and what wasn't, and they began to fashion and tell people, this is how we're going to run our neighborhoods. This is how we're going to operate in our culture. This is the things that we're seeing that are going wrong. These are the way that it needs to be in our culture. These are the things that we value, and so we're going to move that into our neighborhoods. We're going to move that into our town and our city, and that's how they governed. And Jesus said that you are a legislative force on the earth. You are my church. When you forsake the assembling of yourselves together, you start to disperse and being dispersed, you attach yourself to different people who are learning to govern their life differently, and you begin to take on different values that aren't eternal values and of the kingdom of God. And whether it seems boring to you to sit in a church meeting or not, there's something of great value going on. There's things that are going on in the body that create a life and a flow 
that is within the body. As we continue on to be able to focus on the body, you are members of the body in particular. I ran out of time today, my Lord. I hope you got something. That really went quick there. That's my introduction. But next week, we'll crack this thing open called the body of Christ. Maybe it's a little bit more interesting than, than we know. But you know, culture is really in the, the day that we live in, and medical science, there's certain parts of the body. I was praying the other day, and it just came up in my heart. Well, well you know, we have this 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that tells us that the eye cannot say of the ear that no member of the body can say you don't have any need of me. And I started thinking, well, we have parts of the body that doctors say we don't need you, and they take them out. What about that, God? So I began to study a couple of these parts, and guess what? The doctors are wrong. You do need them. You can live without them. Listen to me very closely, and we'll expound upon this a little bit more, but I want to leave you with this thought. Those parts that they said aren't, my, aren't needful, you can live without them. Living without them is different than whether actually you need them or not. There's a member of my body that gets diseased, and it would hurt me, you can remove it and I can live without it. But it doesn't mean that in its original intent and creation, I don't need it. And when it gets diseased and taken out, I'm lacking something in my body. It's not as if just because I'm going on with life, I never needed it. No, I'm lacking something that was there. But diseased, it will hurt me more than it will help me. And if we begin to understand the body rather than, listen, you can't live without me. Oh, we can live without you. So when we see that, well, you can live without me, therefore you don't need me. No, we need you. Just living without you is different than needing what you have to offer. But when you get to that point of saying you need me, and all of a sudden you're taking in different things and offenses, then you become diseased by things on the outside. And now it disrupts the body. His church, his body... It's so vital. It's so vital that we function as a local church body, the body of Christ, to represent or represent him in the earth. And as members in particular, when we go out into that battlefield that is our job or our family or our neighborhood, when we go out there and sometimes we're standing there as a light, a candle, we know that the fuel of that candle, the source of that candle, comes from a whole group of believers that is supporting me. And when I go back, there is that testimony, there's that praise, there's that prayer, there's that support. And I'm just telling you, you may not know it, but I'm the pastor that right now in 2020, there's a number of people, some of you may be in this room, that are very thankful that they were part of a local church because of the prayers that went forward. And Pastor Craig, we heard of his testimony. He said, you can feel those prayers, but there's a number of other people who have been prayed for, who have come down with any number of things that the church has prayed for, and they've come out of it because they had a church body behind them, supporting them, praying with faith in the name of Jesus. And there's unseen forces that are going on, and the enemy is trying to get us to 
major on our immaturities and get offended and get in unforgiveness and what I don't get and what I don't have, but we need to focus on what we do have in a local church body and what we're adding to it and what others are bringing to it and the unity that we have, that the light of the glorious gospel might shine through us to those who are lacking. All right, why don't you stand up? Praise the Lord. Help us, Lord Jesus. Glory to God. I just ask you, I challenge you. As you go through life, if discouragement hits you this week or anger of any form or whatever, just stop for a moment. Just stop. And find out what you're giving your attention to. What are we focused on? It applies to me as much as it does to you. It's so easy to be distracted, and all of a sudden, what was a blur, we put our focus on that. Instead of really what God is saying to us, what God has for us, the joy of the Lord, the peace of God, the, the love of God, it's so hard to get that out of focus with stuff moving on around us. And as we said before, take it off autofocus so it doesn't get distracted. Put it on manual focus. But if we get to that point, what am I focusing on? And if it's something that needs to be focused, how clear am I bringing that into focus? Am I focusing with the, the wisdom of God to say, I got to focus on that. It's not a good situation, but I have, am focusing on the wisdom of God to bring life and solution to that situation so that I'm not focusing on my frustration, my anxiety, my fear, but I'm focusing on faith in the solution. Just ask yourself that question when it happens. What am I focusing on? Why am I getting stirred up? And I think you'll find it's because your focus got off. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We magnify and glorify you for your word. I thank you. God, help me to continue to articulate what you've put in my heart. There's so much to it. Help me to see the things that are necessary and relevant to us as a church, to individuals that we might impart grace to the hearer. And we might impart that there's a favor of God that would come upon them, that we impart that there's an ability of God for the days that we live in, that there is a divine influence working in their heart that will begin to show forth and, and come out and be represented in the life that we live by faith in the Son of God. Help us to impart grace to the hearer. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you for souls saved into the kingdom of God. Before we go this morning, if you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, if you've gone away from him, we're going to pray this prayer together, and I just ask you, if you're praying it for the first time, to put your heart into it because he desires for you to know him and to come into a depth of knowledge with him and, and forgive you of your sin and bring you into that righteousness that we might focus on the relationship that we have with him more than the relationship that we've had with sin and how that is breaking our life up, that we might focus on the righteousness of God and all that he's done for us, that he would bring us out of that sin into a new kind of life, that abundant life. So if that's you, if you're watching or if you're here in this service and you don't know Jesus and you want to make him the Lord of your life, just pray this prayer with us. Let's all pray this together. Say, Father God, I come to you this morning. I'm ready to lay down my life, my way of doing things. 
and accept your life. I ask you to come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. To forgive me of my sin. I believe that you died for my sin. That God raised you from the dead. So that I could become a child of God. So I receive you as the Lord of my life. And I thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time and you're in this room, there'll be altar workers up here that want to give you uh, just a gift uh, to help you along that journey, to help you focus on what that prayer means to you and how you can move forward. If you're watching online, uh, you can go online, share your story, tell us that you prayed that prayer. We want to send you some information that will help you focus on moving forward uh, in this new life in Christ, which is magnificent. It's an overflow of life. It's an abundant, superior life that God's created for you, and we thank him for it. Say this as we go. What God did in Christ Jesus? Far exceeds. Any damage done to me? By Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great day. We'll see you at 6 o'clock tonight.